Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree, and we have author Belle Calhoun with us today. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. My We're pleasure. We're excited to have you. So, Thank you. Tell us how 2022 has started for you so far. 2022 has been great so far, considering the whole pandemic and just um, hunkering down in our house. You know, my husband is an attorney. Um, he has not been working at his office for over two years. He's been at home. My daughter, who was in college, they cut college short. Um, my older daughter was here. So it was the four of us just kind of hunkering down. And uh, as much as we have different levels to work on, it is it was such an adjustment kind of working. And then, you know, my older daughter was working and then my younger daughter was doing classes. My husband, it was just kind of, and I'm used to being the writer and being at home by myself. And that was always kind of... <laughs> kind of cool. It was like the house was my domain. I had the dogs here. And then it suddenly became, you know, everybody was here. And then that whole thing of kind of protecting yourself against COVID. So I felt like the part of me that was really like the mother bear, the protector, I was, you know, out foraging for food, (laughs) (laughs) staying safe and doing my hands. And um, I'm just glad that we've moved to a different sort of, um, and in writing, writing romance, I mean, I don't know if readers ever think about it, but really hard to write romance when you're in a pandemic Mm -hmm. because you're sort of just optimistically hoping that things change and just kind of getting into your imagination and kind of thinking of a brighter day. And of course, nobody puts pandemic in the book. So it's, you're just creating this world that you hope, you know, we get back to. So, yeah, yeah. but um, so far, so good <laughs> with 2022. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So let's start off with some icebreakers. Okay. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? It would probably say, warning, if you come any closer, she's going to hug you. I'm <laughs> I really like to hug people. I'm pretty much like an extrovert. And so when I meet new people or, you know, even my daughter who's in college, when she introduces people, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to give you a hug. So <laughs> I think <laughs> nobody seems to mind too much. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sort of known as a hugger. So that would be my warning sign. I'm going to get hugged. I love <laughs> That's that. okay. I mean, yeah. I was secretly hoping for an answer like that for me. Oh. I mean, you're <laughs> Belle Calhoun, okay? Oh. <laughs> I think just, we were expecting that. It's on brand. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Not during COVID, though. No, I was saying I had that to at, stop. I was saying that at work because I started a brand new job during the pandemic, and I like my manager yeah. and I have said we've never actually even shook hands. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I know a that, whole Sarah. new. <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. A whole new world. Yeah, and I remember somebody was saying, "Is the handshake gone forever?" And you think about it, they were like, you know, is that really going to be something of the past? So that's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, Is that going out the door? What is the first song on the soundtrack to your life? You know, I think it is I've Had the Time of My Life. Oh. Because for many reasons, I love Dirty Dancing so much. So even when I saw that question, I was like thinking that. But then also thinking of how I've just had, you know, such a great life in general. Thinking about my childhood, my young adulthood, just my career. I've been very fortunate and, you know, I try not to ever lose sight of that, that, you know, when you see things happening in the world and I've really just always been very fortunate and lucky. And so I I have to occasionally just stop and remember that we can all get upset and we can all have frustrations, but I've really been really blessed, blessed in so many ways. I love that. I love that. 
and Sarah is a dirty dancing oh, advocate. <laughs> yes. My favorite song of all time. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. I saw it way back when, when it came out yep. with um, my sisters in the movie theater. And I remember my jo- I was just, this is so exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, just the whole premise of it. Um, mm-hmm. Just everything about it. I, Patrick Swayze. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. And then Jennifer Grey. It just was so that exciting and different. Just perfection. It's, it's perfection. perfection. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that, so. No, no. Oh, now, I, I keep talking about that movie lately. So the, the universe is telling me to rewatch it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I've rewatched it. Really, it's so, it's, it has such a magic. And then I think about the Patrick Swayze isn't here anymore. But, I know. you know, he kind of lives on in the movies. And he was the perfect Johnny. And, you know. Someone did a great meme, a video meme, I guess, of that scene at the end with Patrick Swayze and a black cat. Oh, <laughs> Hilarious. I mean, if you want a good laugh, it's really fun. Search it out. It's well worth your time to watch. I will definitely watch that. I will be watching that. So sort of imagine I'm like, hmm. Like the scene where he grunt, you know, like yes, it's really hilarious. Yeah. This yeah. is why the blessing yeah. of technology. This is why the internet exists, yes. people. Absolutely. Just for moments like that. Exactly. <laughs> Besides reading, what was one of your childhood ob- or your teenage, excuse me, obsessions? Hmm. I think I was a little bit obsessed with Prince. Okay. I had posters of Prince. I loved his music. Um, Me and my sisters, we just were all very close in age. We just loved him. And then fast forward when I was a freshman, I was 18 at Syracuse and my friends slept out and got second row tickets at the Carrier Dome. So here we are at this, I mean, it was the Purple Rain Tour. Second row. I mean, I'm within, you know, feet of Prince and my sister, my dad drove my sister up from, from Massachusetts and she was in high school. And my friend, who's super smart, figured out that if we took a friend's ticket and went out, oh, go God. get my sister from where she was seated up in the balcony, brought her down, and she was second row too. <laughs> and she and she has never, my sister and I are very close, she has never forgotten that. She, I mean, it was such an experience and she's always like, I can't believe, you know, I was second row with Prince, you know, so... It's like a lifetime memory, just that experience, his music, you know, him being so close to us. I mean, never underestimate the mastermind of a teenage girl. I know. I know. I see. I wouldn't have known that, but my friend, my best friend, um, we went to high school together and then college. She was the type of girl who thought fast on her feet. And she came up with that where I just would have been like, oh, see you up there, sister. <laughs> so, yeah. I'll tell you all Sorry, about it. I'm second row. But no, it, <laughs> but it was fantastic. So it was kind of like one of those memories that, and especially now that he's not here anymore, yep. I'm always like, I was lucky to see Prince yep. in concert twice. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, we love hearing romance origin stories. So can you, Miss Belle Calhoun, tell us how you became a romance reader? Um, I, it's such an interesting thing. I just wonder sometimes when I, you know, think about my past. Um, I grew up in a family that was all science oriented. My mother was a doctor. My father was a biologist. 
Um, both of my older brothers were very, um, one became a doctor, the other one going to go to medical school. Everyone was very academic and it, it was a big science focus, but I just never liked science, never. I had the really good fortune to grow up across the street from a public library. So that library was kind of my, you know, hunting ground, so to speak. You know, I was always over at the library and I think it's it's maybe you're born this way that I gravitated towards that. And I'm very thankful. I had two parents who never, never gave me a hard time about it, never asked me what I, why I was reading that. They just knew that that was something that I liked, that I gravitated toward. And I've been in my life, I've been in bookstores where I've heard parents chastising, you know, young girls, why are you reading that, you know, crap or whatever. And it just, every time I hear it, I'm like, uh, but then at the same time, I'm like, I'm so lucky that I had two parents who were science oriented and never attempted to get me to veer away from something that I love. And so I sort of fell into, I remember there was a store, uh, my family had a summer house in Cape Cod, and there was this old bookstore where if you went down the steps, there were hundreds of Harlequins, hundreds of paperbacks to buy. And I was like 12, 13 years old, digging through those shelves, getting a bunch and whatever I could pay for, I would bring it to the register. But um, I just was so immersed in that world. And then, you know, segue to different other types of, you know, whether it was Gothic romance or romantic suspense, but I, it was at a young age. And thankfully, thankfully, it was not snuffed out. My parents were really, um, really cool about it. They never, never said a word, never questioned anything. I think they were just happy kind of that I was I was a really prolific reader. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of known like I was always having a book, you know, and sometimes it was, you know, literature things, but they never, never tried to, you know, stamp that out, which I'm so grateful for, really grateful, because I wouldn't have become a romance writer, I don't think if and, and even my brothers and sisters, nobody ever questioned it or made me feel, you know, less than or whatever. So that is so it's cool. Fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like we need bookstores now where it's like you go down the stairs into the basement and there's the romance. <laughs> it was so cool. It was so cool. And it was just, it doesn't unfortunately exist anymore. But imagine just going down there and there were just, I mean, stacked all kinds of Harlequin presents. And you know, the ones like the Greek tycoon and... <laughs> And I was like 12, like reading like, oh, what's the Greek tycoon doing yeah. now? <laughs> what's up with him? <laughs> yeah. How like yeah. any romance reader that reads category can just instantly think of a presents novel. <laughs> I'm telling you, they are the most iconic. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And, it, and it's funny because someone on Twitter was talking about Harlequins and I immediately thought of one that was like my favorite. It was called The Ice Maiden. And it was the most ridiculous story, but I loved it and I read it over and over again. And a couple of years ago, I ordered it online because I wanted to like see it and feel it. Mm -hmm. So, you mm -hmm. know, but certain things just really stick in your mind. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that one did. From what we could see online, your first book, Reunited with the Sheriff, released in 2013. What was your journey to becoming published like? Hmm. My journey was very a very long journey because I first... Um, I was for, for many, many years, um, starting in my early 20s, I worked for um, a federal agency and I kind of worked my way up and I was raising my small daughter. My husband was in law school, so I didn't have a lot of time to write. So when I when I was on my maternity leave, I wrote this book and honestly, it was not very good. I sent it out. And when I heard back, it was just the sweetest, kindest um, rejection letter, basically saying, uh, the story is interesting, but it's not for us. 
And so I kind of just, my maternity leave ended. I went back to work all the while. I kind of still dreamed, dreamed of the day that I would have the time and the wherewithal to, um, you know, be a romance writer. I joined, I lived outside of Boston. So I joined the Massachusetts um, romance writers. And I kind of was just the type who would, you know, I sat there and I listened and I saw, you know, there's a writer called Suzanne Brockman. I don't know if you've ever heard, mm-hmm. if you've heard of her, but she was just, over here. I just, <laughs> I just always thought she was so amazing just with her generosity of spirit, her personality, the book she wrote. And um, I just remember that one time she had a book and it was called Harvard's Education and the hero was African-American. And I remember her saying that the publisher tried to lighten him and she was like, no, no, that's not what his color is. He's dark skinned. And when, you know, she held up the cover, it was a dark skinned man. And I just had so much respect for her in that moment because it's so easy to sort of get along to, you know, go along to get along. And um, so people like that being in the midst of people like that really kind of inspired me to, to, you know, hold fast to the dream. And um, unfortunately, a few years later, my mother passed away. And that experience just derailed me emotionally because in some strange way, I almost felt like if I continued to pursue it, that was selfish. And it was almost like I just couldn't, I couldn't give it my all because I was so grief stricken. And I felt almost like that was, I don't know why I felt like it was selfish of me to pursue this career when my mother had died, you know, she had died before her time. She got sick very suddenly and died like nine months later. And um, it wasn't until many years later when I moved to Connecticut and once again, I'd had my youngest daughter that I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this. And that's what I really did. I said, you know what, I'm going to pursue this. And the, how I got published with Harlequin was I was actually online. And back in the day, I don't think they have them anymore, but back in 2013, 2012, I think it was 2012, they had forums, Harlequin forums, where you could, there were contests and different people would come in and say, this publisher was looking for this and it was all Harlequin, you know, the series ones. So what I did was I saw Love Inspired had sort of, it was called, I think, a speed date pitch with Emily. And you had to sort of come up with a blurb. If they liked the blurb, you would make it to the second round. So I did the blurb, they liked it. And so I just kept going and going and going. And then one day, you know, Emily, who is now my editor, mm-hmm. <laughs> Emily said, oh, can I have your phone number? And I was thinking, oh, she wants my phone number. So I kind of had a feeling that it was going to be good news. But when she called me, they did offer me a contract. And I've been working with her since 2012. So 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. 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 So take us back to this time. Like, what did the world of romance publishing look like when you were entering into it? I think it was very different now. I think there were a lot of doors closed to authors of color. Um, Harlequin in particular, I will say, it just seemed, I mean, as much of the industry seemed at the time, very, very segregated. Uh, I, I think it's, I mean, it's incredible almost now when I see different lines with, um, you know, diverse characters, because I'm like, that would net, that was not happening before. And a lot of writers were steered towards Kamani. And the funny thing about Kamani is I did submit to Kamani, but they never responded. 
never responded. And my understanding is that at that time, there was some shuffling of things and things got lost in the, you know, mm. in the woodwork, whatever. But I definitely, and you know what, in a way, it wasn't meant for me. That was not meant for me because I definitely submitted a manuscript, waited, even responded, you know, queried them to say, what, what happened? No response. So I think that, you know, whatever is meant for you is meant for you. But at that time in 2012, there just was not a diversity. You didn't see, now you see, um, whether it's, um, you know, Indian or Spanish or Black, you see the full range. Uh, and you did not see that then. It was very much, you saw a small section in Kimani, but you never saw it in like the Harlequin Presents. I mean, that was historically, you know, you, you and you know, it's sad. Sometimes you took it so for granted that this is the way it is. But, you know, I think thanks to, you know, persistence of authors that it, it kind of, it broke down because definitely there were gatekeepers who were keeping people out. And I think that's, that's changed. I think people are realizing now that, um, you know, it's important to have representation and that readers want that. But at that time, it was very, very, a very different picture than it is today. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, thinking about even too, when I was growing up, I mean, I didn't see the first time I think I ever saw a Harlequin, especially was Sandra Kitt, Adam and Eva, and it had an African American couple. And I was like, oh my God, you know, it was such a big <laughs> thing to see that, you yeah. know, such a huge moment. So even then it was very, it was very rare. So yeah, um, we've come, we've come a long way in the last few years, I would say happily. Yes. But um, I mean, 2012, 2013, wasn't that long ago? No, it wasn't it that wasn't. long ago. It really wasn't. But um, sometimes when I think about it, I think about the fact that in some of my books, I've my book, which wasn't even that long ago, maybe four or five years, because I don't determine what's on the cover. My book, Alaskan Twin Surprise, is the very first Harlequin Love Inspired with a Black family on it. Oh, and that yeah. was three or four years ago. Yeah. Very first. Our book club. We read that. We one. read it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we read it for our book club. We loved it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It was the first, though. And my book, Reunited at Christmas, was the first interracial couple. Mm hmm. And so, I mean, wow. it's sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, wow. Yeah. You're a trailblazer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in some small way, I hope I make, you know, a difference, you know, just to know. I'm, I've had people write to me before and say, oh, I never thought I would see or I never, you know, I never imagined. And that that feels nice because you're you're allowing someone to see themselves in your characters and in the cover and to know that, yeah, you're worthy of being the hero or heroine. You're worthy of love. Mm -hmm too so absolutely yeah so congratulations on on the release of your fifth book in the home to thank owl you. creek series i love that thank series you. so much oh the alaskan you. past can you share with our listeners what the book is about okay the book is basically i was you know it's funny no matter when i write a book it's really odd at the end and i'm not trying to do this it's always sort of a theme about forgiveness i don't know what that says about me but always i find that that there's that thread of forgiveness um the story basically centers around um a dog musher named ace who his Iditarod um, race, recent race led to disaster when there was a crash and his lead dog, Luna, was seriously injured and it forced him the accident to kind of reevaluate his life and he decided to retire and head back home to Owl Creek. When he gets there, he... Um, his ex-girlfriend, who is now a veterinarian, he didn't know she'd returned to Owl Creek. He meets up with her at her office because his dog Luna needs 
um, constant care because of her injuries. She makes a request of him because she's a little bit desperate. She wants to open a dog rescue, and this has been her grand passion, and she needs someone to lead it. She asks Ace, who's like, absolutely not. No. You broke my heart. No <laughs> way am I doing this. But then he kind of finds himself in a situation where his father is in pretty bad financial straits, and he has to dig into his savings to really help him. So he takes the job, and they have to find a way to kind of get along and rescue all these dogs. Yeah. I love it. Through Maya's character, you show how sometimes we have the best intentions and we don't yeah. mean any harm. Right. But that right. can be exactly what our decision right. leads to. So right. where did the inspiration for that part of Maya's story come from? Um, I think I, I kind of always like, um, I love everyone who knows me, all my writer friends, they laugh because I love reunion romances or something that I just love the idea of two people who've once had these feelings for each other that those feelings never quite die or they reignite. And thinking about the way that they broke up or why they broke up, I just kind of figured there had to be something that as much as she had feelings for him, why would she have given him up? And I kind of played on the fact that he had had a lot of illness in his family. He'd lost his mother. And as much as she was trying to do the right thing, I don't think lying in that circumstance and, and sort of hiding your own wounds is the right way. But um, it was sort of, you know, as an author, I think we always have to come up with devices that, you know, are plausible that why would someone give up, you know, the love of their life? And there aren't too many good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I don't think so. No. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And even having, you know, in my, I guess in my heart, my mother had lung cancer. She had a very brief illness and she'd never smoked a day in her life. So that was kind of a bitter pill to swallow. And then um, six years ago, my older brother died and he was only 52 and he had colon cancer. He'd never been sick a day in his life, wow. never been, nothing. And then yeah. all of a sudden he goes to a doctor's appointment and he finds out he literally has terminal cancer. So the whole, when I, I do tend to write sometimes these things because it's such a part of life. It's, you know, not everyone maybe has to deal with it, but I always say that you never know in your life when you're going to be at that point, whether it's a family member, or a mother, or a husband. Uh, I mean, I've had friends whose husbands have had cancer and it's just one of those things that people don't like to think about all the time, but it is a reality of life and, you know, people have to deal with it. Yeah. So it's the literal like only guarantee in life. The sucky thing is, is that like exactly. you said, you could go to the doctor in perfect health and find out like, yeah. well, by the yeah. way, you know, it's absolutely. And having had that twice in my, in my life for people that I love, it's sort of one of those things that you just don't take certain things for granted. So absolutely. It's true. Yeah. yeah it's true. In the book, the hero ace is a champion dog sled team musher. Were you already familiar with the sport? Did you have to do any research to write this for his character? I was familiar only from a very, very general point of view. I knew about it. And because I've written so many Alaskan books, it was always sort of on the periphery. But for this book, I definitely had to do a lot of research. And it really is so incredibly fascinating. Um, I talked to, um, there's an author, Terry Wilson, and she wrote for Love Inspired. And I knew she'd done some dog mushing books. So I, you know, messaged with her a bit and turns out she had actually gone to Alaska, volunteered at the Iditarod. <laughs> she was one of those people, <laughs> I know, you imagine? 
So I just funny thinking of Terry, like she was there at the Iditarod. I think she said she was sort of along the course, um, helping maybe, and sometimes dogs get injured and they have to leave the race, but she was one of those helpers. So I thought that was so cool that she was explaining about that. And then I happened to do some research and I found that there are these twin sisters, the Barrington sisters, amazing, Um, Anna and Krista Barrington. And there's a third sister named Kat who handles all their media. I mean, they were so generous with their information, but just so fascinating that these absolutely stunning twins do this grueling, grueling. I mean, I think they're from like Wisconsin and then they just fell in love with the idea of it. And one of them, I can't remember which one, during the one of the races, they met their husband. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, here I am doing the research. And I'm like, dying, like, oh, my gosh, this is so incredible. Yeah. And story then the, idea for later. Yeah, story <laughs> idea. Twin, story. twin dog musher. <laughs> husband on the trail. Yeah. yeah, it was so incredible. And then their other sister, Kat, was the one I communicated with. And it's she doesn't do the dog mushing, but she helps them with every aspect of it. And she's their sort of communications person. So just the details were just amazing, really awe-inspiring because it is difficult. I think one of them, and I can't remember which one said, more people have um, climbed Mount Everest than competed in the Iditarod. That's how hard it is. Wow. wow. It's just, that's how challenging. And even reading, you know, you don't think about the fact that some of the dogs don't make it. Some of them have to leave. You know, it's just, it's just so grueling. And even, you know, the humans are injured. So um, I have a newfound respect for that sport because it's really, um, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. You have to really love it, you know, to, to be yeah. doing it. And even the number of dogs, I had no idea that I think it's like the average is 14 dogs. I think you have to have at least 14 when you start the Iditarod. So. It's incredible. Yeah. And some have 18, 19. So, um, yeah. I always say we don't deserve dogs. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Too, I know. It's really. And in two, you think about that. That's a really, um, it's really grueling on the dogs too. Yeah. And I have two, I mean, we've always have dogs. We have two dogs now and you know, they really, I always say my expression is dogs only ask to love and be loved. That's really what they're about. You know, they're so loving and they want to be loved. So, um, I really, I do love writing about dogs. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Well, we love reading about dogs. That's right. (laughs) Well, you kind of touched already on, you know, you, you tend to write the theme of forgiveness in your books and it's a, it's a huge theme with Maya and Ace's romance. So what do you want readers to take away from their their romance, from their story? I think uh, I want people to take away from the fact, obviously, forgiveness is the easiest one, but that, you know, love is something that it's, it's I always believe it's never too late if two people really have genuine, deep-seated feelings for each other that they can sort somehow forge away. And with Ace, the character, he was very guarded, first of all, because of the hurts of his past, you know, his mother had gotten sick and passed away. And then the whole thing with Maya, he just couldn't believe that he'd felt this way for someone and that it had all fallen apart. So my advice to readers too, he had to kind of step up and break down his own walls in order to get to a point where he could forgive her, accept her, um, especially when he finds out, you know, what she was hiding from him. And I think with her too, she has to be pretty courageous to admit that she did something so wrong. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's, it's just really maybe in love, we, to be courageous, to be more courageous, even at the risk of being hurt again. Yeah. That's because, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Because in the end, you know, it's worth it. So when you began writing her secret Alaskan family book, one in the series, did you know um, what the series would become like? Did you have planned out five books or how many, what was the no. thought process? No, I didn't. I didn't plan it out. I wrote that book because I've always been fascinated by the idea of sort of, I guess, growing up with the kid on the milk carton. There's something about that that's so fascinating to me that someone missing could be found or switched at birth, something like that. So that was just the main you know, idea. And then, of course, because because I've written Alaska, my my editor, my publisher wants me to write Alaska. It's almost like the niche that I found or that they want me to stay in. They want me to stay in that lane. Stay in that lane, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So somehow I had to get it to that this woman who had been kidnapped at birth had to find her way back to her Alaskan family. So it's kind of like putting the pieces together and like shifting it to Owl Creek. But I don't really generally plan out too much ahead of time. I did know that there was going to be, because she was the missing sort of heiress, there was this family. I wanted there to be this family that was sort of had a high stature in town. So I made them the Norths and they had the chocolate company, North Star Chocolates. So of course, you know, I put in, you know, different siblings and friends, and then you just kind of figure out, well, who's next? <laughs> so was it like yeah. you, you know, you, you, you wrote the first couple books where that, what was their feedback? Like, Hey, readers really love it. And like, that's why we're, we're still getting books in the series. I think generally, um, when you have a series, and I think Harlequin, Love Inspired, they like series. Generally, you would get, I know when I had my Love Alaska series, there were seven books. Now it, it feels like the number six. Most likely you're going to get six books in the series unless okay. something, yeah. So I think that's really the, the the number that they like to have. And, you know, the readers, they do like, sometimes I'll finish a book and I'll get an email. Oh, are you going to write um, Brayden's story? Are you going to write Piper's story? So I think they really, and I always call it, I always call it breadcrumbs. You drop the little breadcrumbs in the book about this person or that person. And nine times out of 10, the readers pick up that breadcrumb yeah. and they really want to know, yeah. well, well, wait, are they going to get, so I, I like that, you know, it's kind of nice to sort of layer the book with little hints about other characters and see what the readers think about that. We are so selfish as readers. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> Although one time it was really funny. Someone wrote me and said, oh, are you going to do like, I forget the name, like Timmy story. And Timmy was like five. I was like, I was like, I was like absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> not. <laughs> 20 years later, here's right, little Timmy. Right, right. Fast forward. <laughs> In a future book, you should have just had him like ask his little high, like his little girlfriend at the playground out on a date and been like, this is for reader so-and-so. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. yeah. Here's the story. <laughs> I was just so surprised. I was like, what? What? <laughs> when we love a character, we love a love character. A character. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Happy ending. <laughs> well, you touched on Alaska and that is a buzzword for us. I mean, if we see yeah. Alaska in the title, we're just like, oh, I don't care I'm what the summary is. Right. Just oh, get it. That's great. So what do you enjoy about setting your stories there? I think it's just so different from anything that I've ever known. It's it's completely different. It's very rugged. It's very cold. It's you you can have a remote town, and I do like writing small towns. So it's 
in a sense, it lends itself to that sort of small town camaraderie. I mean, you can have like the town curmudgeon who's kind of a hermit. <laughs> you can have so <laughs> many different, you can have the waitress, you can have the diner owner. So to me, it's kind of, you can make it very quaint, but at the same time, that way of life is so very kind of unique yes. that I like that part of it. And I think I started started doing Alaska with the whole idea that I wanted to have the I don't know if you know my Love Alaska series. It was Operation Love. And it was because there was a lack of men in the town. They wanted to sort of match people up. And, and there aren't too many places you could do that. Yeah. You know, to me, it seemed like Alaska was a place that you could have this mayor yeah. who wanted his grandsons to be married and, you know, sort of matchmaking people. And you, you couldn't really do that too much in New York or you yeah. couldn't do it. <laughs> you couldn't do it in California. So it just... Alaska kind of lent itself to that. And um, it's really funny because one time I did some sort of video or something. And one of my readers messaged me and she was like, my husband says that you're a native Alaskan. I was like, your husband is wrong. <laughs> I'm not Alaskan at all. <laughs> but it's just so funny that people, you know, they attach certain things. They assume or they see when they think, oh, your face looks, no, no, I'm not at all Alaskan. But, um, <laughs> it's been, it's been so far, it's been a really fun ride and people really respond well to it. And um, that makes it fun. Oh, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So we saw online that we're getting a sixth book in the Home to Owl Creek series in December. Yes. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Yes. It's a Christmas book, which is always good because people love Christmas and it's it's exciting to get a Christmas slot. Um, this is also in Owl Creek. It's the last book in the series. I think number, yeah, number six. It is basically about a young woman who is losing her eyesight through macular de degeneration and she she decides um, after hearing from her sister that there's someone in town who at his ranch is training people to, who, with um, disabilities to work with um, canines, canine dogs. And it's going to be part of Love Inspired has a bunch that they've already released of um, canine Love Inspired. I know Lo the suspense has different ones, but this is for Love Inspired. So it's basically about um, two hearts that are kind of a little crazy crushed and the hero um, is probably one of the sweetest heroes I've ever written. His name is Leo Duggan and his family owns a ranch. He's a rancher, but he's had his heart kind of smashed in two. So um, it's it's very interesting. And there's an interesting secret that the heroine is holding. So Well, December can't come fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> is that... Is that the Canine Companion series that you're talking yes, about? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. So yes. I read um, her Easter prayer this oh, month. My and it was oh, so good. She's so amazing. Good. She's yeah. a good friend. She's a good friend of mine and she's like the sweetest, nicest. Yeah. yeah. Her books are always, yeah. I love the idea behind that series with those those, you know, service dogs. Yes, yes, the service dog. And that too involved a lot of research. This was probably one of the hardest books I've ever had to write because it didn't start out as this book. It started out as another book. And then my edit the editors were kind of like, eh, there were aspects of it, even though they'd already bought it, there were aspects of it they thought were too like fantastical. And I love a fantastical story. <laughs> I was fine. I was like but fine with it. I was like, what's the problem? You're like, I don't yeah. see the problem. Right? I don't see the problem. So I had 
had to kind of very fast on my feet, come up with something. And I've never had to do that before. So it was really kind of one of those moments where you're like, I kept hearing, you know, from um, Project Runway, Tim Gunn, make it work, make it work. Because what do you do? You have to totally scrap what you thought was this great thing and come up with something. And then my editor was kind of like, oh, well, you could put in the service dogs. I was like, ah, the service dogs. So um, hopefully in the end, I think, I mean, I ended up liking the way it was. So hopefully everyone else will like it too. I mean, yeah, I think we're getting the chills just hearing. I'm so excited already. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we have to talk about your like other, your single title series. So oh, you okay. have book yeah. two in your Mrs. Yes. Domain series releasing this July. Yes. Can you tell us about the series and what we can expect from book two? Okay. Um, the series is set, um, I wanted to set something in New England. Um, so it's set in Mistletoe, Maine. And uh, growing up, that was one of the locations. There's not a real town of Mistletoe, but my family, we would go on summer vacations there. So I just always really loved the vibe of it. Um, the first book, No Ordinary Christmas, was about the librarian Lucy and the Hollywood movie star Dante. So the second one kind of shifts to Lucy's older sister, Stella, who's a teacher. And the, the story starts with Stella. It's the last day of school and they're at an assembly. And all of a sudden, this hot Navy SEAL marches on stage to kind of surprise his nephew. As you do. So, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> as one does. So um, basically, because, um, because Stella was ditched by her fiance like two days before the wedding, everyone in town for years has been kind of trying to hook her up with people. And she's just at the point where she's like, I, I don't want to do this. I, this is horrible. Um, you know, she has to watch her ex, the guy she was supposed to marry, who ended up getting back together with his like childhood romance. And they're settled down, of course, in mistletoe. And he didn't even grow up in mistletoe. So it's like in her face. And then um, when Luke, who's the Navy SEAL, he's every woman, every single woman in town is after him. And he's like, I can't deal with this is too much, of course. So they have like a fake romance that kind of turns into a real one. So yeah, yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) There's a lot of there's a lot of this book was a lot of, um, you know, he's a former Navy SEAL because he got injured and he retired or he was retired. He didn't want to, but there's a lot of emotion from him because of what he's seen over there. So it's, I think I would say that there's a lot of poignant parts in it where he really um, has a lot of post-traumatic stress and different things that kind of impact their relationship. So it's a little of a more serious topic, I guess, but still lots of smooching. You are (laughs) delivering on the content. Love, love, love. Thank you. It's so funny we're talking about book two because I wrote book three. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of funny. (laughs) You know, like the timeline, it's like this one's coming out June but then I'm like a year later the book I just finished writing a couple months ago so oh my god so we'll have to have you back in the new year to talk yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely so basically you're coming back oh thank (laughs) you my pleasure yay um so let's get into some roundout questions. Okay. Early bird or night owl? What time of day do you prefer to write? Hmm. I'm definitely a night owl. Always have been. I wish I wasn't, but I am. I prefer to write probably late morning is my sweet spot, late morning. But I can write for hours on end. Um, I don't like to write too early because I'm not an early riser, but um, I would say 11, 11.30 is my perfect time to start. Yeah. What is one film or television show that you'll never see? stop watching i've been 
watching Survivor since the first year. I love Survivor. And it's funny because my sister and I, every time we're Survivor, we're like texting, calling, did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> it's just one of those things that I feel is so addictive. Just the personalities. And it's, it is also a show I could never be on. Never could I do that. So I think it's part of me, I like to vicariously watch these people do something. I would never do that. Yeah, yeah. Never. I mean, I would last one day. I'd be like, excuse me, Jeff, I'd like to leave. <laughs> so I've been wondering all these years. So it's you, your sister, and my husband that are keeping the show on the air. My <laughs> husband watches it religiously as well. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a huge Survivor fan. <laughs> It has been on forever, guys, and I've never even watched. I know. Oh, that's so funny. And some of the people who go on there, they're like Survivor super fans. They like Mm -hmm. study it to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, they really study it. Yeah. 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 I don't do that, but. (laughs) (laughs) What is one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? Oh, I think it would be Rebecca by Daphne (gasps) du Maurier. That's like our favorite. That book, that that book definitely, I would say, changed my life only because I I, I can transport back to when my older sister came home from school and I think she had gone to like a, they, I don't know, like a book fair at her school and she brought me that book. And I just, I mean, just the way, you know, last night, I remember the first line, last night I dreamt I went to Manly <laughs> again. Oh. And it was just such a, I mean, just like the gothic suspense, just the twists and the turns and just, it just incredible. And it's funny, recently, my daughter bought me for my birthday, the hard, there's a new edition of it and it's like a hardcover and it's like this beautiful white cover. It's just gorgeous. And, you know, cause she knew what it, you know, what that book meant to me, but I, that book just. Yep. Change my really change my my life, just my what I wanted to read, and just um, I'll never be able to get enough of that book. Yeah. I think every time I reread it, as it, I had to read it in eighth grade, as like required reading, and I like you said, you can that's the, the book. I feel like you can yeah. remember when you first read it. You can, I can remember. still hear my yeah. English teacher and her like she had that Lucille Ball smoker's voice, um. <laughs> and she wore the cutest pantsuits, and she just loved oh, that that's book. So but cute. I just. Remember remember rereading it because I was like I was confused I was like where's Rebecca did she is she is she gonna show up like the first experience of reading a main character who's never actually on the page I know is the main character I was just like I know and and so in just the way they described her she was this dark-haired beauty you got this feeling of like an Elizabeth Taylor or something I don't know so beautiful and then they never said the name of the the heroine yeah 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 net throughout the whole book which is time so kind amazing. of amazing technique. Yeah. 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 I didn't read it till I was in my 30s. Oh, wow. Okay. It was my, it was my mom's favorite book. She read it when she was younger, just like Brie. And like, finally, she's like, just please read this. Yes. Yes. All right. Mom That's knows amazing. best. Mom always, always listen to your mother. <laughs> always, always. Yes. You have to. Now, that book is amazing. Just amazing. Oh, yeah. Gives me chills just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Hmm. I would say someone had a great t-shirt. I'm trying to remember. We need diverse romance. 
I think mm-hmm. that's the hill that we need diverse romance because it's still, we need to catch up and there's still so many years. And a lot of people don't understand that there were so many authors banging on doors that wouldn't open. And um, I recently was kind of dismayed that I, I saw some comments from an author and she was saying that, try, sort of just making a comment that diverse authors were um, doing all these protests and stuff. And I was thinking, you don't have a clue what was going on. They were basically fighting for their literary lives, like complaining and saying that there's not enough diverse romance isn't um, like marching and protesting. You're basically articulating that there's a void in, you know, the romance world and that the gatekeepers who are who were responsible weren't doing it. We're doing it. So it's just interesting perceptions of things. And I think people don't really see that there were so many authors who, and if you think about it, and if you ever notice, there's still authors who wrote for that Kamani line who have not been published with other lines. Yeah. So it's almost like the death of a career. You know what I mean? And so I think people should be more aware too that a lot of people didn't get picked up or, you know, um, and there are people who are still fighting to get a shot at something. So that's the hill I would die in that there really needs to be more because it's, it's, there's still so much to catch up on, you know, still so much. Well, we have the like romance as a whole, but in the the space of inspirational romance, do you believe that we'll start to see more diversity in like love inspired, love inspired? Inspired suspense. I think it's definitely happening. I know it's already happening because in the past, I would say, uh, well, let's face it, for 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 many, 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 many years, it was just me. Yeah, it was me over here. But then now they have Tony Shiloh who writes for Love Inspired. Um, there's also Zoe. Um, she also writes as Michelle Lindo. Yeah, Zoe Jackson. There's also um, CJ. She wrote a really great Christmas book. And so, I mean, it may not be equal to you know non authors of color, but definitely I think of the fact that there was just me and that in the past year there are now three more and I know for the suspense line I think her name she's written two I think her name is Jacqueline Thomas oh yeah yeah I think that's her name she wrote two for Love Inspired Suspense and I don't think Love Inspired Suspense had any a single one no ever ever I don't think I mean I don't I don't follow that line as closely but um so now they at least have her and you know I think a lot of times when you when you're an aspiring author and this is just my perception. I think for a long time, I think authors of color probably thought that Love Inspired wouldn't take them. Okay. And so they didn't even try. But then I think once you start seeing more people and, and realizing that in some of the lines um, actually encouraged, you know, authors from all different backgrounds. So I think that confirmation sort of helped people see, well, wait a minute, why am I not pursuing this? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that, that that's changed, particularly with Love Inspired, because I've seen the different authors and connected with them and, you know, promoted their books and such. So, yeah. Awesome. What is one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? I think in general, I'm going to say I am not. I, I, I've i always been, I've gotten a lot better, but I'm telling you, edits have been really hard. I think it's just, it's just so hard, especially in the beginning, to see like your words like taken out and crossed out and the suggestions. And then you get, not only do you have your editor doing it, but you have a copy editor doing it. So it's, sometimes it feels like you're being so bombarded. And it took, it took my friend, my friend who writes for Love inspired Jolene Navarro, who is awesome. If you ever, she's, she's an amazing writer. She, she lives in Texas and she writes, it's interesting because she writes a lot of 
um, Hispanic characters. And she writes what she lives because her husband and her children are Hispanic. So it's it's just so authentic and rich. But she, you know, her and I talk, you know, compare notes. And she's always like, you know, um, you have to think of it as making your work better. Mm-hmm. And that slowly seeped into me. It, it, I started not to be as, you know, like, about it. And then to yeah. say, you know what, this is just a necessary tool to make the work more polished and better. And I think I've absorbed that pretty well. But there, in the beginning, it was really, really hard. Like, why, why are my words being taken out? And I don't <laughs> like this and da, 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 da. And you could get yeah. a little bit defensive about it. But if you try to think of it from just that positive vantage point of, okay, this is making the work stronger. And I, I, I listened to Jolene tell me that many times and it finally seeped in. <laughs> I can imagine it's hard in the beginning yeah. to like not take it personal, you know, right, but the right. more you do it, you're like, the more you, know, you do book it turned out great. It turned out great. So yeah, right, clearly right. they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Exactly. Exactly. And the editors are very smart. My editor yeah. is very smart. So it's just, um, something I had to get used to, but I, I'm a lot better now. Well, if a reader was new to your bibliography and asked oh. you for the one book of yours that you believe they should read, which would it be? Hmm. Well, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, the book that I really, that I, that I personally like a lot is, um, I mean, I like all of them, but Alaskan Christmas Redemption. And it was about, it was a Christmas, because I do love Christmas, set at Christmas time. It's in Owl Creek. It's about a Piper who's a diner owner and her best friend. And it's a friends to lover's romance. And there's just a lot of poignant things in there. And I really liked, you know, she was this plucky young woman who wanted to salvage her father's legacy of this diner in Owl Creek. And there's just something very, very tender about it. And I think the fact that I like also, um, in addition to reunion romances, I love the friends to lovers romance you know because that's kind of interesting like you've always viewed this person as your best friend and then mm-hmm. suddenly something kind of turns so I really like that one and I think readers liked that too so yeah I think it would be that one knowing what you know now what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career I think I would I think I would just say don't worry don't worry it's all going to work out and also just you know keep plugging because there was a point before I entered that pitch with Love Inspired that I was like, oh, should I just give this up? I mean, I really, really sadly, I hadn't even put my work out there that much, but it just seemed so incredibly daunting. Just the idea of getting published seemed so daunting. So I kind of, in a sense, lucked out because I really did not, I wasn't one of those people who was like submitting everywhere. I kind of fell into that Love Inspired pitch and thankfully it worked out. But before that, I was kind of like, uh, and there is something really scary, I think, about putting yourself out there because I think for me personally, I was always the type of person who I was like, well, what if I put it out there and it doesn't happen? That That's when your dream kind of dies. And I think I was so holding on to the dream that I didn't want anything to just derail it. But at the same time, if you do that, you're never going to get where you want to be. So yeah. um, just have faith that it's all going to work out, work on your craft and just keep keep plugging, keep plugging. Because well, writing is learning a craft. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. Because <laughs> <laughs> now we get the look. You're selfish, you know, us selfish readers. Uh, lastly, where can everyone follow you online? I people can follow me online. I am 
always constantly on my Facebook author page. That's where I'm most likely to be found. I do a lot of giveaways, a lot of interaction with my readers. Um, also, I can be found on Instagram. It's always Belle Calhoun. Um, if people want to, I'm also one of the admins in a group called Coffee um, and Contemporaries, and they can find me there too. We always do. It's a fun group of um, contemporary writers, and um, we do a lot of posting. Do we try to post every day we do book giveaways so um that's really and i'm on twitter too but i'm not on there as much but the usual places so but my facebook author page is where i'm really i'm really present there and i always will answer messages and always answer comments so well we're gonna have all of that listed down below oh, thank you thank you so much well, I mean, thank you for inviting me you guys like, are great you're bill calhoun you're a big deal to us so oh, thank you that's so sweet that's I, you too I can't get over the fact that we got to talk to you today. So thank you. Free message. And she's like, we got Belle Calhoun. And I'm like, what now? (laughs) (laughs) You guys are so good for my ego. Right? (laughs) We're here for. (laughs) Well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have links to all the places where you can keep up with the incredible Belle Calhoun. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It was so nice meeting you guys. Yes. Face to face. And please come back. Yes. I will. You don't have to ask me twice. I will. (laughs) All right, listeners. Well, thank you for listening. And Sarah and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Bye, everybody. 